FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 398 on the podcast that goes snicked, snicked. I'm your host, Jason Venable, and we're going to talk about a couple of new comics, both of which feature Omega Red on the cover, but only one of which has Omega Red on the inside. So don't judge a book by its cover. Wah, wah. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about Wolverine number four and X-Force number 11. So yeah, that's that's all we got on the plate tonight. Um, we'll see how long the episode goes, but uh, I have a little bit to say about some of these. Um, so yeah, yeah, we'll jump right in. So Wolverine number four is issue four, The Red Tavern. Also, there will be blood. <laughs> um, this, of course, is written by Benjamin Percy. Uh, this arc, the art is going to be by Victor Bogdanovich. Matthew Wilson does the colors. VCs Corey Pettit, woohoo, does the letters. And Tom Mueller does the design. The cover is by Adam Kubert and Frank Martin. And on the cover, we have kind of a, it's not really a split cover because it's one image, but there's like a false horizon halfway down the cover that's like a sheet of ice. Then standing above that sheet of ice is Omega Red, pounding his fist into the ice. He's crouched over and his tentacles are coming out, going under the ice and under the ice in the icy water, struggling with the tentacles is Wolverine. It's a really nice cover. It's actually pretty great, I think, overall. Um... The color work by Frank Martin really sets, like, the temperature, <laughs> if you will. Like, it looks cold, uh, it looks icy, it looks great. Um, really fantastic cover. So we start off kind of picking up with the end of the last story. And uh, Wolverine is coming to the Quiet Council, and he throws Magneto's helmet on the table and says, Suppose you'll be wanting this back, bub. No, bub, there should have been, but... I, I added the bub. Um, but he throws it in, and uh, Xavier is is going to give him a little lip. Um, one of the great things about this scene is they, so the, the camera, if you will, switches behind Xavier and shows some of the other quiet counsel. Uh, you have Sinister leaned back in his chair, arms behind his head, uh, leg propped up, like he just could not care less about what's going on right now. And then you have uh, Exodus in the middle, not just kind of being there. And then Mystique on the other side with her legs crossed, kind of slouched in her chair. And she looks like she's looking at her nails or something. So obviously very disinterested in the conversation. But Xavier's like, hey, we need to have a united front. Um, good results on what you did, but you kind of, we would rather prefer to work cooperatively, not you know, get Magneto drunk and steal his helmet. 
And Wolverine's like, well, um, I took care of the Marauders getting mentally hijacked. That's, that's fixed. I uh, took out a pollen lab, and Xavier's like, yeah, but you can't keep uh, flaunting, you know, your disregard for our authority. Um, and Wolverine's like, well, if you don't like that, you're going to really hate that I use Magneto's helmet as a piss bucket, which, okay, it's funny. But it's obviously true, because when, when Magneto puts his helmet on, He's like, oh, what's that smell? And there's, like, little flies flying around his helmet. I don't know. It's a funny gag, right? Like, I mean, yes, a sophomore gets potty humor. But it's funny. And it's a funny visual gag with Magneto's facial expression when he puts the helmet on. And can smell that something is amiss or a piss. Um, I guess... It just doesn't seem like something... I don't know. I guess a certain population would argue this is exactly something Wolverine would do. But it seems just kind of unnecessarily mean-spirited and not a good-natured prank. Um, there's a really fun line, right? Where Magneto's like, you got me drunk and stole my helmet. And Wolverine's like, yeah, you stripped all the adamantium off my bones. We'll call it even. Like, like that was fun. Um, I don't know. There's something about the, the whole peeing in the helmet thing. I don't know. It just wigs me out. Because to me, like, peeing on other people's stuff is not funny. In fact, I had a big, big stink about that when I was in college. Because my youngest brother, who's seven years behind me, um, was at a, a, like a summer camp with some friends. And one of his friends, they were giving each other a hard time and had a fight or whatever. And so one of his friends, as a joke, peed on the other guys. Not my brother. My brother was neither of these guys. He's just friends with both of them, or was at the time. Um, but anyway, uh, the guy peed on the other guy's pillow as a prank. And obviously, everyone got really upset. Because pranks are like... I don't know. I stuck my finger in your pudding. Even that's kind of gross, right? <laughs> when, when you think about it now, as an adult. Like, well, no, that's not really your prank. But, I don't know. It's like a, it's a line too far when you're talking about pranks when you start involving urine. You know, I remember my dad talking about stuff he did in the dorm in college. Like, uh, you know, back, back then when vinyls, vinyl records were cool the first time around, not not as a niche industry now, um, they, they would take the record sleeves and, and fill it with shaving cream, and then, and I'm sorry if I'm giving any of you bad ideas, but um, but they would stick it under someone's dorm room door, right, like under the crack of the door, and then stuff on it, and then the shaving cream would like basically explode all over the room. And... That's annoying, but mostly harmless. I mean, as far as, like, yeah, you got to clean up shaving cream. It's kind of like, like, okay, wrapping someone's house. Don't completely endorse it, but unless, like, the person is in a position where they can't clean up, like, obviously, if they're elderly or, or disabled or you know, something like that, then it's a terrible thing to do and shame on you. Because if you're putting someone in a situation where they can't actually take care of it, 
then that's also no longer a prank. It's just being a mean butthead. But, um, you know, if you're doing it to your friend in eighth grade, and he just has to get up and clean it up, you know, barring, like, a thunderstorm you didn't know about where it gets all wet and impossible to clean up, like, it's... Whether you should or shouldn't can be argued, but it's definitely mostly harmless. But when you start involving bodily heat fluids, like putting poop on someone's porch or peeing in someone's metal helmet, it kind of quits feeling harmless at that point. Maybe I'm just a fuddy-duddy. Maybe I'm a stick in the mud. I don't know. So I can see Wolverine like being pranky. I don't know if I necessarily see him being so gleefully just mean, but maybe he would be. Because he, you know, he's got that frontiersman attitude sometimes. So maybe uh, maybe it fits. Anyway, we get a text piece, which is actually really interesting after that. Um, really enjoyed it for the most part. Talks about how Wolverine wants really badly to believe in Krakoa. Like he wants it. It's what he's been fighting for his whole life. He just is maybe too much of a realist to really buy into it all the way and really believe that it's possible. And that resonates with me a lot. Um, you know, I, I fight for the best of things. I fight to to provide for my family. You know, fight is sometimes a strong word. Comparing these things to battle is maybe... Uh, and, not so good side effect of reading on the comic books I read. But, um, you know, I, I strive. I work really hard to provide for my family, uh, to help. Let me rephrase that. Um, this is not a patriarchal family. <laughs> um, to help my wife provide for the family. Um, and, you know, and we both... Yeah, let me just back it. We both work really hard to provide, provide for our family. We both work really hard to do what we can to make this world a better place for not just our kids, but all of your kids as well. Um, you're welcome. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Such a bastard thing to say. Um, but no, but seriously, like we, we really try really hard to, to put our family in a good position with what they need, but also to, you know, hopefully have some kind of impact on the world, even if it's just the world right around us, right? But to, to hopefully make things a little better for people, to help people um, to instill those values in our, our boys. Um, we're quite hard on that. But even in spite of all that, there's a part of me that is always a little bit restless and is always a little bit skeptical that that either what I'm doing is really working or making a difference. Like, I'm always having that internal battle, right? My head know, and my heart, like, I, I know that it is in the long run, right? That I'm making a positive difference and I'm, I'm raising good boys. That, you know, I have this talk with uh, Georgie and Dan and the Scalbros pretty often, right? Like, we'll talk about things and I'll kind of be like, man, you know, I relay this story or situation with my kids and it's like, you know, I'm doing the best I can, but like this dad thing is can be rough sometimes. <laughs> and and they're and they're both great friends, very quick to you know encourage me. And, and and lots of friends do this too. That's just a recent example I was thinking of. So thank you guys. Um, you know, but 
there's that constant battle. I think, honestly, I think part of being a good parent is struggling with the fact that you don't always believe you're a good parent. <laughs> I think that's just kind of a natural uh, piece of the puzzle, right? But, yeah, but anyway, I guess back to what I was saying. That no matter how much I want things to be better, how much I want things to be good, and how I actually actively work towards those things and believe in those things, there's always a nagging part of me that's like, well, but are they really? Um, can things really get better? Um, and, you know, it's kind of that balance in my just in myself. That struggling optimism weighed down by a healthy dose of pessimism and and trying to have the right outlook that balances those. And sometimes, I'm not going to lie, sometimes I get out of balance one way or the other, right? Sometimes I'm overly optimistic and not realistic. And sometimes I'm too hard and too pessimistic. But anyway, all that goes to say is I really resonated with this text piece that talks about Wolverine, you know, wanting so bad for this Krakoa scenario that's been built up to to play out, not only to be what it purports that it is, but then it also is able to last. And he has trouble believing either of those. And he has trouble just buying wholesale that Krakoa is really this nice, right? And he also has a whole lot of trouble believing that it can last. And I, know, I, just, I, I really identified with that. And I think it really puts a purpose and kind of a statement behind this book. You know, one of the things that you know, Scalbros and I have also talked about in our coverage of the X-Men books is... You know, some books really feel like they have like a mission statement and they're driving towards something and have carved out like a space in Don of X and some books feel like they're aimless and listless and floundering. I think I feel like this, putting Wolverine in this headspace really helps put the book in its own space in Don of X. And I, I really, really appreciated that. Um, and basically the outcome of that, what that all gets to is that Wolverine is planted a hidden gate and it goes to the great Canadian um, you know frozen wasteland <laughs> and there's like a dive bar that he goes to up there and it's just his way to to sometimes be in the dark and to play in the shadows and to kind of counterbalance all the the happy mutants holding hands you know the shiny happy mutants holding hands and Krakoa that he has trouble believing in so he has this kind of dose of realism uh, that grounds him. So he has this hidden gate. He goes to this bar. And, you know, in the bar, he's like, something smells familiar. And he, it's not just beer and piss. Um, you know, but he's drinking. A guy gets mad at him, hits him with the pull cue. Um, and the guy goes to the bathroom after he doesn't really hurt Wolverine. And then we, uh, the sheriff comes in and relays this story of this. He saw someone or something like eating a deer and he his car went in the ditch and he ran over here and he felt like it was following him and everyone's being real creepy in the bar yeah the guy that looks like um oh shoot who's the bald guy with the red beard and uh sergeant slaughter's marauders um you know the three guys that he took in his wing <laughs> in gi joe there was a uh, red dog which seems horribly offensive now <laughs> And there was Mercer, who was the ex-Viper, who became a G.I. Joe. Taurus. Taurus was like a Russian mercenary who uh, came over to G.I. Joe. Or Taurus, I guess, depending on how you want to pronounce that. But the word for bull. Uh, this guy looks like that guy. Um, completely 
skin, bald head, and then a big bushy red beard. Um, then there's a kind of a crazy guy with a Joker's smile and just looks completely manic. And then an, a frail old woman who's missing teeth. Um, and she goes, she has a woman who's flirting with her, and she says, why not? I got three teeth and nothing to lose. <laughs> And then Wolverine keeps talking about the holes in his memory, which I'm trying to remember how we got back there. I don't know if it's because of the resurrection stuff. Yeah, some listener, someone remind me. Someone tweet at me or send me a thing on Facebook. Remind me why we're back in a place where Wolverine is having memory issues. Um, it's been a nagging question the last couple issues, and I don't know if it's something that... Percy's just wanting to fall back to because he did that a lot in his serial uh, Wolverine podcast, which, by the way, are pretty good. Um, So I don't know. I'm trying to remember how that's back to being a thing. Um, Anyway, uh, Wolverine gets drugged and starts kind of hallucinating a little bit. Then we get a a text piece that's a flyer for a mutant trauma support group. So obviously foreshadowing there. Wolverine goes to the bathroom and he finds the guy he got in a fight with with a big hole in his chest. And then he sees a tattoo from the Brotherhood, like the old mutant Brotherhood. And he gets shot with a trank dart. <coughs> and he wakes up chained up and everyone in the bar is there and the sheriff's like, what are we doing? What's going on? But these guys are all support, all part of that mutant trauma support group. So the bartender recognized Wolverine. He's been coming in and he was part of the group because he uh, lost his eye in a mutant skirmish at a bar in Madripoor involving Patch. Um, and he recognized Wolverine when he started coming to his bar, and so he reached out to his, his support group, and they eventually kind of got together and, and laid this trap. Um, so they drugged him, they caught him, and they're all so mad that they killed his, they, that he killed their friend. And Wolverine's like, but I didn't kill your friend. I don't think so. I know my memory's sketchy and y'all drugged me, but I don't think I killed him. Um, but then he he smells the scent again. Um, so they decide they're going to take Wolverine out to the ice patch and cut a hole in the lake. They can't kill him. I guess they don't know they can drown him because this plan would actually work pretty well as what they're about to do. But the idea is that they can't kill him. They can dump him under this frozen lake and he can be frozen forever and kind of that can be his exile right or just be down there frozen that's their idea um so they go out there with a chainsaw and they have Wolverine in the chair they're going to cut the ice out from under him but then Omega Red shows up and starts killing people and we find out by the way the old lady is Gorgon's mom uh, remember him and then the other guy I forget. Let me see if I can find the text, the conversation. Um, the crazy guy is mad because um, he's from a sanatorium. And Wolverine recognizes him as a patient. But I don't, he doesn't really ever say like what happened to his family or friends that made him hate Wolverine. So, I don't know if you remember like, the Orphans of X. Um, kind of a similar story beat, right? From from the only Wolverine X-23 storyline. Um, yeah, they get him out. And Wolverine's like, no, 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 you guys, you got to cut me loose. Something really worse than me's coming. 
And then this giant head falls on the ice, and it's the sheriff. And Wolverine's sinking into the ice, and they're like, no, seriously, let me go, let me go. But then they all get stabbed with uh, Omega Red Tentacles. He kills everyone. He's like, I followed you, Logan. Now, remember, he had gone to Krakoa. He had escaped some vampires. Um, And so, when he sees Wolverine under the ice, and he puts his tentacles down through the ice and grabs Wolverine and says, I'm feeding on pain and your pain is delicious. And then what looks like Dracula and some vampires show up on the ice to be continued. So, the art. Gotta talk in just a second about Victor Bogdanovich. I was really excited for him to come on this book. Really enjoyed his work over at DC quite a bit. Um, so not too long ago, he, um, and I actually, I actually went to look so I can re- remind myself, because I just wrote in the notes, maybe he's kind of an asshole on Twitter, and I went to look and I can't find the tweet anymore. But a little while ago, when stuff started coming out about, um, I think particularly Warren Ellis and Cameron Stewart and some of the dirtbag things they were doing in regards to women, especially maybe... You know, other either creative women or women trying to break into the industry, and you know, heard a lot about grooming and just terrible, terrible stuff like that. Um, Victor Bogdanovich at the time tweeted something that it was really hard to tell if he was being genuine or just very, very poorly executed satire and humor. It was just kind of not good. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was kind of kind of talking about how like he was harassed at a party or something, but it was okay because he's a. I don't remember exactly what it was, or it'd be okay if someone groped him. I I, don't, I no. Let me stop that. I don't want to. I can't find the tweet. I don't want to misrepresent it. I just remember it was not. It was not good, and if he was trying to be satirical, it didn't work. Okay? So I don't know. I don't like that. He may not be a bad guy. He may have just misfired on his Twitter, on his sense of humor. And that's not unforgivable. I think what what made the situation worse was the people called him out on it instead of being like, oh, you know what? I was I was trying to be funny. I'm sorry. Um, he's kind of acting like... He's got his feelings really hurt. I do remember that for sure. And... When he got really defensive and was like, well, you guys misunderstood or you don't understand what I'm saying or I don't care and kind of just tried to shrug it off like I didn't do anything wrong. And so if you have a problem with my tweet, the problem is with you, basically is how it came off. Now, I'm not saying that's ever inappropriate. I think there are times where someone can be very justified and you do have to kind of stand up and say, you know what? I stand by what I said. I have a very strong opinion about this. And if you have a problem with that, the problem is with you. A, jokes are not those things. Misogyny is definitely not that thing. If you feel very strongly about your misogyny, the problem is with you. Because you're wrong. Um, So, I don't know. Instead of being, you know, um, maybe taking a dose of humble pie and just saying, Hey, I, I misfired. Like I said, he just got really defensive and did not help his case at all. So so he may not be a bad guy. He may just not know how to handle his business on social media. And, you know, 
that's okay. Either way, kind of left a little bit, of, a little bit of a poor taste in my mouth on on the guy. But his art is the art itself is still really good, um, and and the the book looks really nice, and the writing is really fantastic. Um, really enjoyed the story, the dialogue, the characterization. Um. Like I said, I need someone to help me. I need someone to fill in the hole in my memory about the new holes in Wolverine's memory. But, um, you know, it's, um, otherwise, other than that, a good story. You know, the the trauma support group, like I said, does feel a little bit like Orphans of X, but I was glad to see Omega Red. And I like kind of where Wolverine's going. So, all in all, I'm going to give Wolverine number four five out of six claws so we're going to take a quick break i need to go pick up my son um but we'll be right back all right so we're gonna uh, finish up x-force 11 which comes with a path to ten of swords little logo sideways on the cover like like a little scaffold of a sword is really what it looks like um so that's what we're headed towards, for sure. Just realized this is an all Benjamin Percy episode. I should have, I mean, not that that's shocking. These are his two books. But for a reason, it just dawned on me that I put them together. Um, Alright, so writer Benjamin Person, Person, good grief. Writer Benjamin Percy, art by, well, it just says Balzadua. I think his name is Oscar, but I respect the one name. Um, anyway, he's, uh, or they are from the Rogue and Gambit series. There's some beautiful art on that book. Uh, Guru Effects is the color artist. VCs Joe Caramagna is the letterer. Tom Mueller is the designer. And the cover is by Dustin Weaver and Edgar Delgado with production by Nick Russell. Weaver continues to just keep upping his cover game on this book. Started off kind of okay, but not really looking like him. And it's just gotten stronger and stronger as the issues have gone on. This one has Omega Red and Colossus facing off. Uh, Omega Red has his coils around Colossus's neck. Um, Colossus has his hand around Omega Red's neck. It's a really nice cover. Um, unfortunately, though we just talked about a, a cool Omega Red story in Wolverine number 4, Omega Red does not show up in this book at all. I think he might be coming just because I think they're pulling all the rushes together, but um, he's not, not in this issue. So, what we have is also tying into kind of the last Wolverine story and some of the X-Force stories. Those guys in like the um, red spirally suits that look like Daredevil's radar vision, uh, the Russian um, kind of task force team, so, X-Force got some of those, and so Cecilia Reyes, Sage, and Beast are trying to dissect them. They start to do an autopsy, but suddenly, when they cut open the guy's chest, another little guy comes out, and he grabs the uh, di dissecting knife and stabs Cecilia Reyes in the throat. So she did not have time to get her force filled up, so she is dead. I mean, they'll resurrect her, no big deal, but she, she's dead for now. So Beast grabs the little guy, 
and snaps his neck. And while he's laying on the ground, another slightly smaller dude crawls out of that guy. And so is literally, literally, sorry, I've been watching a lot of Parks and Rec. <laughs> Uh, it's literally a Russian nesting a Russian nesting doll, and they try to chase the little guy away as he runs. But then we see there's more bodies on the vegetative tables, and though they haven't been cut open, um, alien style, uh, little guys start popping out of all the bodies. They look like like the mus the muscle diagrams with the skin torn off, like just the muscles of a person. Um, it kind of looks like that. That's what those guys kind of look like. So then we go to the Savage Land, where Colossus is farming. Um, he's gotten away from the X-Men and Krakoa, and is just enjoying his farm. And Domino has come to get him, says they need help, and he's like, no, no, ex-lover, I cannot. I'm ready to farm like I used to. And he straps himself to a plow like a big ox, and starts tending the field. And then... His consort lover shows up, kind of gets in Domino's face. By the way, not his previous Savage Land lover. This is, it looks like just another mutant from Koa. She's uh, purple with a pink dress and a pink headband and blonde hair. Anyway, she gives some, there's an awkward scene between her and Domino, and Domino's obviously uncomfortable. And then one of the, the Russian nesting doll guys goes to the Computer room knocks out Sage and finds Xavier's location. And then we see multiple mans, or multiples man, uh, running through the Savage Land gate, abandoning the Savage Land, but they get shot. So Colossus starts to meddle up, and he runs through the gate as uh, New Lover is like, No, please don't abandon me, come back. And he, and he goes, I go so I can come back. Or has something to come back to. Which is an interesting little line from Colossus. Anyway, he runs through. He obviously gets hit with a hell of bullets. But he's okay. And we see a big battle page. And here's where we have our both our Wolverines. Uh, we have Logan and Laura. Uh, in this big splash page of a fight scene. And that's, that's all we get Wolverine-wise. <laughs> so a very slight appearance. So I'll try to keep moving kind of fast. So basically... All the mutants are attacking these nesting dolls who have also appropriated some Krakoan weaponry like the uh, the kind of big plant mecha suits. Uh, so some of them are in there. And so they're all fighting. Um, Colossus steps on a little guy, squashes him. <laughs> it's really gross scene, but then an even tinier guy. Uh, and I forget who it may be, Beast or Domino, but one of them is like, at this rate, I'm going to need a microscope to fight these guys. Um, kind of a funny one. So, uh, yeah, they're moving through. Then the guy that was tracking Xavier goes to his treehouse. Um, and Black Tom shows up. And so the guy hides. But he tells Xavier, we gotta hide you. We, we they cover him like in a bunch of weeds. Like a protective cell. But the guy goes in. The little nesting doll guy goes into Xavier's... Surely this can't be like his abode. It looks rough. <laughs> <laughs> Looks more roughing it than I would expect Xavier to put up with, but I, I guess we'll see. Um, anyway, there is a floating sword because we are on the path to X, uh, Ten of Swords, um, and the the guy grabs it. We find out it's the Sword of Cerebro. Yeah. 
So anyway, Colossus does his part. He goes back home. Uh, Quentin Quire's making out one of the Cuckoo Sisters. And he's really happy. And then he gets stabbed through the chest by the sword. And falls through a gate to Russia. And a villain on the other side grabs the sword of Cerebro. And it's a big dude with a cape and a scar on his face. I believe this is Colossus's older brother, Mikhail. I I think that's who it's supposed to be. I don't remember what he looked like the last time he was around as far as costuming. Um, but I'm pretty sure he had a facial scar. And, I mean, he's big like Colossus. We know there's a Russian-centered story. Or it's in Russia, right? The gate goes to Russia. So, I'm just assuming that's who this is. I don't know that for sure. Um, but it seems like a fairly safe bet. I remember him being kind of powerful, right? So that can be interesting. We'll obviously pull Colossus back in. So in the art, colors did an interesting thing. It's almost very painter-y. But Balzadu's art looks really good. It's a really nice-looking book. Uh, he continues to deliver. Uh, stuff looks nice where it should and gross where it should, but it's all very effective. Um, I actually kind of like the... I know it's on the nose a little bit. I really kind of like the Russian nesting doll concept, right? Like the idea of that being like a gross villain army um, actually kind of worked for me. I know with the Resurrection Protocols, it's easy to pull off. I still don't love just a casual, oh, they died, we'll resurrect them, who cares? That that Krakoans seem to be taking on, especially in this book, um, they seem to be very super cavalier. Uh, th this is the book, more than any other X-Men book, where people just kind of die for no reason, and no one really cares, because we'll just bring them back. Um, I'd like to have a little more emotional weight than that, um, knowing that it's traumatic, and, and yeah, and, and they've dealt with that some, like Percy's dealt with that some. Um, I know we haven't covered as many issues of this book lately, but there was the, uh, the conversation... Uh, with Domino about, you know, trying to forget the trauma. Oh, actually, we did talk about that one because she was talking to Wolverine. Um, about kind of the trauma of the previous death and even the resurrection and coming back and trying to figure out, you know, what part she wants to remember um, and how that's, you know, really traumatic. So they are dealing with it somewhat, but it still just feels really cavalier. Um, and I don't love that part. But other than that, I thought this book was actually one of the stronger issues of the series so far. Um, in fact, I'm going to give this a pretty pretty solid 4 out of 6 claws. I actually quite enjoyed this issue um, definitely more than I have been the book overall. Um, you know, I've kind of been my my uh, running gag, or whatever you want to call it. It's kind of been with Percy, kind of a tale of two writers, right? Like, Wolverine's awesome and X-Force is not so much. Uh, this is more... feels more cohesive and together. Um, so that's nice. I, I think it, it works. It feels like maybe he's finding his footing and and maybe finding what he's going to do with this book a little more besides just, oh, Black Ops, in quotes, you know? Um, but yeah, no, a pretty, a pretty solid issue. I actually quite enjoyed it. I'm a little bummed that Omega Red was on the cover and not in the story. But like I said, there's a lot of Russian characters here, so maybe he'll show up next issue. We'll see. Um, but either way, yeah, I, I I thought it was a good issue. A very solid 4 out of 6 clause. Um, 
So yeah. Alright, well that's going to do it for this episode, guys. Um, not too long. Not too short, but not too long. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it. And as always during this time, um, especially with, with those of you who have kids, you know, starting school at various stages of virtual and in-person, um, everyone just please do what you need to do to keep yourselves and your families safe and well. And, you know, continue to push on. Let's all keep working to make this world a little bit better. And, um, yeah. So until next time, everyone, hugs and snicks, and we'll talk soon. All right. Bye, guys. Oh, wait, wait. Plugs. Uh, Twitter, at SnickCast. Facebook, you can like the Facebook page, uh, Wolverine Podcast, I guess, Snicked. Um, and then, of course, uh, show notes and stuff for snickcast.podbean.com. It's important to mention, right? <laughs> so some of you guys can find me. Had a lot of new Facebook likes, by the way. I probably maybe next couple episodes I'll, I'll read some of those names out because I had had several likes the last couple of weeks. So thank you guys for that. Um, I would encourage you. I'm not as good at Facebook. Sorry, Pat. I know that's your main your main deal. Um, I'm, I'll try to be better, but I definitely would encourage everyone to hop on Twitter where I. I only tweet a lot more images and stuff, especially in the flashback, flashback episodes, but also all my 60s and 70s comics uh, did a whole lot of tweets about 60s, and I've been keeping up with the 70s, so definitely go check out Twitter, at SnickCast, but um, anyway, that's that, so, like I said a minute ago, but this time I mean it, until next time, hugs and snicks, everyone, bye-bye, and snacked. <laughs>